0: them deep into the earth behind us said our goodbyes at the grave but everything reminds us God knows we ache when he asks us to go on how do we go on we will see to our souls we won't bury our hope Where he leads us to go There's a Red Sea road When we can't see the way He will part the waves, And we'll never walk alone down the Red Sea Road How can we trust When you say you will Deliver us from all Of this pain That threatens to Take over us well This desert's dry But the oceans may consume and we're scared to follow you so we'll sing to our souls we won't bury our hope where he leads us to go there's a red sea road when we can't see the way Down the Red Sea Road Oh, help us believe You are faithful, you're faithful When our hearts are breaking You are faithful, you're faithful You'll grant us eyes to see You are faithful, you're faithful to sing you are faithful you're faithful you're faithful we will sing to our souls we won't bury our hope where he leads us to go there's a red sea road when we can't See the way He will part The waves And we'll never Walk alone Down the Red Sea road No, we'll never Walk alone Down the Red Sea road No, we'll never Walk alone Down the Red Sea
1: can open to 2 Kings uh, chapter 20. In 2 Kings 20, we're going to read the first six verses as we jump off this morning here. 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember me. O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days fifteen years, and I will deliver you. From this city, from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Let's pause briefly and pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to be gathered, Lord. I pray that your word would come forth in spirit, in truth, and power, and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is a fascinating account to me, and I don't know if that's the right word. It's interesting. Um, It's compelling, the events of Hezekiah's life and how his life was extended 15 years and how the sun turned back 10 degrees. And we're not really going to dig into the miracle itself, but, I mean, it was a miracle that literally changed the world in that moment. Um, There was a tremendous impact, not just in Hezekiah's life, but in all those surrounding him, whether they knew it, realized it, fully appreciated it or not. The Lord did a marvelous work here in Hezekiah's life. And we're not going to spend much time on the miracle, Um, and and oftentimes it's easy to focus on the miracle because it's exciting and it's powerful and it's inspiring at times. But what I want to spend some time this morning on is looking at how Hezekiah received this news and kind of what he had done in his life to prepare himself to receive this news. Today we will focus on this thought that the Lord presents to Hezekiah. Set your house in order. He says, Hezekiah, you're about to die. Set things in order. And we have both parents and children here. Some of you have been both, as I have. And there's times that you may ter- tell a child, hey, get, you know, you got to get things together. you got to get your life in order. Um, maybe something as simple as, hey, you got to clean up your room. Or, you know, you really need to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Um, I remember the first conversation I had with my parents about this. Um, I was about three years old. Uh, And it was, hey, Scott, you got to put the Duplos aside and and get to Legos. You need to get yourself together. I'm joking, of course. But there are are times that the Lord tells us, he makes it plain to us, hey, things are changing. Um, We have some who are graduating or just graduated this week. Things are changing uh, in your life. There's going to be changes coming. Um, You need to have your life in order. And that's not something that you can just do in a moment's notice. There's a, a preparation and, and a life that has to be lived leading up to those moments. And certainly, if the Lord speaks to a heart, he can change a heart in a moment. But his plan is that we live a life that's prepared, a life that is one that is focused upon him, to be prepared, to be ready for whatever he puts in our way. Specifically, the warning given to Hezekiah here from Isaiah the prophet was to get your affairs in order. Death is imminent. And again, we've seen that in our lives um, We've seen maybe it's yourself or a loved one that uh, has been given a terminal diagnosis, and and they essentially say, the doctors say, hey, you don't have much time to live. You need to get things set up. You need to get things in order. Or we could think of an old Western movie, and, and you young people don't know what old Western movies are, but they'd have moments in those movies where a cowboy would have his sidearm drawn and a sidearm's a gun, if you don't know what that is. And they'd say, prepare to meet your maker. And you know they're getting ready to, to take someone's life. And they're telling him, hey, you got a few moments to get things right. The Lord is speaking to Hezekiah here. He's saying, "The time is now. You need to be ready." And we'll talk about what Hezekiah did and how he responded. But whether we're in full health or nearing dead, uh, or nearing death at the end of our lives, there should be an urgency in our life—an urgency to be ready, to be prepared, to live as we are dying. Whatever the next phase of our life is, whether it's leaving high school, leaving college, whatever that may be, the Lord wants us to be prepared. And have our lives ready to do whatever it is that he calls us to do. If that's to go home to be with him, if that's to go on, if that's to do something different, a different career or different relationship, whatever it may be, the Lord wants us to have things set in order. Because when we have things set in order, it brings joy to our lives. So we'll look at Hezekiah, and if we just back up and look at those first two verses of what we read this morning, we see that message. Set your house in order, you shall die and not live. And here we see Hezekiah's response. He turned his face to the wall and prayed. And that's really probably the crux of the majority of what we'll talk about today. Hezekiah was presented with a message that nobody really wants to get in this natural life. A situation that was going to be life-altering to him and to his family, to his country, he was king. He got the wind knocked out of him. And in those moments, whether they're, you know, literal, we've had the wind knocked out of us, or just figuratively, we have a choice to make. And I was thinking of a time of my life when I literally had the wind knocked out of me. Uh, when I was uh, a boy, we played baseball uh, down the street in the park, me and neighborhood kids. Um, we had quite quite a game going almost every day during the summer. And at about 11, maybe 10, 12, somewhere in that range, um, I fancied myself as the, the Ricky Henderson of the group. Um, if you guys don't know who Ricky Henderson is, back in the day when I was younger, he was quite uh, a baseball player, extremely fast, um, Was the stolen base king? I have no idea if he is now. Um, Google could tell us later. But nonetheless, I was absolutely the extreme opposite of Ricky Henderson. I was slow as molasses. But in my mind, um, I was going to steal home and win the Neighborhood World Series for my team. So there I am sitting on third base taking my lead off. And this is my moment to shine. I break for home. And sure enough, the batter hits a line drive right right at me. The ball is coming at me, and I'm going at the ball. Uh, And back to the molasses statement, I didn't have time to move, and it hit me uh, right in the rib cage, and I went down like a sack of potatoes and thought it was lights out for me. I couldn't breathe, but in my mind, I was going through my 10-year-old Will, giving away my (laughs) baseball cards and my bicycle to my friends who were lying there watching me, wondering why I was uh, rolling around and not breathing. Um, The cure for me in that moment when I had the wind knocked out of me was simply to breathe, right? Right. Sounds so simple, but if you've never had the wind knocked out of you, you don't know how momentary you feel like, I can't get the wind that I need. But as my friends um, you know, were very loving and caring to me, kicking me, trying to move me out of the baseline so the game could continue, I just had to breathe. And it sounds so simple, but spiritually speaking, Hezekiah had the wind knocked out of him. What was the solution for Hezekiah with this news? It was to breathe. To pray, just as he did, turn himself to the wall and look to the Lord and pray. What a simple answer. What a simple thing it is to just say. But what an extremely great and powerful privilege is ours to pray. Prayer is one of the best preparations for both life and death, because by it we gain strength and grace from God to enable us to finish whatever it is he calls us to do. Hezekiah wept bitterly. And again, it's the nature of of mankind to have that separation of soul and body. There, there's, I don't see anything wrong with that, that need to, to cry, to weep, to pray when that news comes. But this was really what made Hezekiah a godly king, was that his tendency was to turn to the Lord and pray, even when things don't make sense. Hezekiah is in the midst of his usefulness. He was doing things that other kings didn't do, and kings after him never did. He was a useful vessel to the Lord. And the Lord saw fit to take him home. So Hezekiah surely had questions, but he recognized that whatever was happening, he needed to be before the Lord to figure it out. Isaiah records a lot of these accounts in his, in his, or in the book of Isaiah, a lot of these accounts are recorded as well. And Hezekiah reflects on this. He says, that, indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. And again, that's not something that we like to think about, to have to have bitterness or hurt or anguish in our hearts to find peace, and it doesn't always have to happen that way. But Hezekiah understand that he was lovingly delivered from the pit of corruption by his loving Savior, and that bitterness brought him peace. He understood what the Lord was doing. Again, we may not always see it in the moment, but we have the answer. Just breathe. Pray. We can have peace without full understanding. It's not a requirement to understand what the Lord is doing at all times and all ways, to have peace. But praying brought peace. Hezekiah, and praying, can bring peace to us. Hezekiah was a man of prayer. We can be turning to 2 Kings 19 now, just back a chapter or two. And this wasn't the first great crisis of his life. And as we look at this passage next, Hezekiah was under great threat from the king of Assyria, whose chief servant was sent to deliver news of an impending invasion. Uh, This this king's servant, the king of Assyria's servant, came and, and was trying to scare and intimidate the people of God, and, and he was saying, don't let Hezekiah, don't let him trick you into saying, trust the Lord, don't let him trick you into to thinking that he's going to deliver you because the king of Assyria is going to come in and destroy you and take you captive. This was a very dire situation and a very clear and present danger for Hezekiah. But we see what Hezekiah's practice was in his life. In verse 14 of Second Kings 19, Hezekiah received this letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, spread it before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, "O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your ears, O Lord, and see, and the words of Sennacherib, see the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God." Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands, and I have cast out their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from this hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are Lord God, you alone. Again, this was a very real threat. The king was coming. He was at the border of their country, ready to come in and destroy and naturally speaking, Hezekiah could have easily retreated into his chamber with his his cabinet members, if you will, to develop a plan, a defense, a strategy. It would make a lot of sense to to go to your war room when you're presented with a battle, to devise these plans, this counterattack of how we might defend ourselves and defeat the enemy. But again, Hezekiah instead retreated to his prayer room. He took these letters that he received, this threat that he received, again, that was not only going to affect him, but affect all those who were in his charge and in his care. And he simply laid it before the Lord and said, Lord, I can't do anything about this, but you can. You know the end from the beginning. You know that this was going to come. Show that you are God, the one in control of all things. Again, Hezekiah is not praying for his, his great military might to be on display so that all would see what a great warrior he was. He said, I want the nations around us to see that you are God you alone. Again, what a testimony that is. The Lord is on the throne, even when it doesn't seem like it, even when chaos is surrounding us, even when the water and the flood is overflowing, we can cry out and lay it before the Lord. Hear me, O Lord, open your eyes to me. See this issue that I am facing, Lord, I can't deal with it on my own. For we know that he hears the cry of his people. This should be the calling of our life. This should be the practice of our life is to daily put the day that we're going to live before the Lord, to understand what, what it is, what do I need to do, or what's going to come my way that I don't know how to deal with. Help me to understand. Help me to put it in your hand. Calling on the Lord should be our matter of living, our matter of practice. And if it's not, make it that way. Again, prayer doesn't have to be something that's super formal though we we can have a a more formal prayer, but our prayer life should be a conversation with the Lord every day. We can talk with him anywhere in any time, just like we do in a close relationship we have, whether it's a close friend or a a spouse. Uh, If I only spoke to Rachel once a week, well, she might be thrilled, so maybe this isn't a good example. (laughs) But Hypothetically, let's say that I spoke to somebody who actually wants to hear from me uh, just once a week or maybe once a year, How close would that relationship be? How much would we know about each other? Again, that's just a natural example. And then I speak to my wife all the time. Um, And we have a very close relationship. We share everything with each other. But much more, that should be my relationship with the Lord. I should be talking to him every day, all day, communing with him, expressing my feelings to him. I tell Rachel things that no one else would care about. Uh, The things that go on in my workday, the things that I I dream about, or or not dream about, that sounds really romantic and cool. I don't dream much. I try just to sleep. Uh, But things that just wouldn't mean anything if I told them to somebody else. But they mean something to her because they're coming from me. Our thoughts, the intents of our heart mean something to our Savior because he loves us. He wants to hear from us. He wants to commune with us. Hezekiah's faith led him to God when he was on his sickbed. And he prayed, Lord, remember me. Again, he doesn't speak as if God needed to be reminded or if some reward was due him. We all know that it's Christ's righteousness only that can purchase mercy and grace for us, and we do well to remember that. But Hezekiah didn't say, Lord, spare me. He just said, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. I need you. Remember me. Remember all that we've been through together. And that that may bring a temporal deliverance. That may bring an extension of our life in this in this earth that we live in. And it may not. It may mean we're ushered into his presence when he remembers us. But the privilege is ours to pray, to speak to him, sometimes simply to weep, as we read Hezekiah did. He wept bitterly. The Lord understands the meanings of our tears. I think of that hymn that we sing from time to time, Sweet Hour of Prayer. It says, In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief, and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return. O oh, sweet hour of prayer, to him whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting soul to bless, and since he bids me seek his face, believe his word and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. How blessed we are to have the opportunity to commune and to pray to the Almighty God. It's a great privilege. It's a great place where we can lay our burdens at his feet and find great relief, a calling out to him calling out for the light and truth that only he can send forth to us. That in our needs, like the Apostle Paul, when he said, he, he had that revelation that the grace of the Lord was sufficient for him, that his strength only came from the Lord. It brought him to a place where he could boast in his infirmities because he rested on the power of Christ, because he understood that he is weak, but the Lord is strong. Again, if our focus is on God, good appears, because our focus is on him, who holds our every breath in his hand? Our perspective can be right that even if deliverance never comes from whatever we're praying about, we can have peace. We can be not cast down. We can remember God. We cannot be disquieted within us if we simply hope in him. For David said, For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance. We can find peace. Paul tells the Philippians, Be anxious for nothing, but come to him. Put your needs, your supplications, your requests before him and find that peace that surpasses understanding. And again, that's very challenging. Has anyone ever been anxious? And if you haven't, wait till you have kids. You'll be anxious. Wait till you have a job and you have bills. There's anxiety that comes just from living this life. There's just unknown that awaits us. We can feel that weight and burden, but what this teaches us is we don't have to have full understanding to have full peace. Paul told the Philippians, it surpasses understanding. This peace that the Lord gives surpasses understanding. Again, thinking back to Hezekiah, the ending of his life could have brought great anxiety, and I'm sure that it did. But he turned. He turned to God. When the king of Assyria threatened attack, he turned to the Lord. This is an essential part of our lives. Paul exhorts the Colossians, he says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Paul highlights some challenges that we have in our life, in our natural life, of an effective prayer life, the the lack of dedication. The answer: devote yourselves earnestly. A sluggish approach to prayer. Keep alert. Be vigilant. And requests lack of that are devoid of thanksgiving. That lack thanksgiving. The answer is to be thankful. We overcoming we overcome these by allowing prayer to be a manner of our living. Now let's go back one more chapter to Second Kings eighteen. And again, we see this is Hezekiah's testimony. And we'll, we'll read momentarily that he fell and he failed at times. But we can see as we're stepping back in his life, the preparation for all this news to be delivered to him of his imminent death was built upon this foundation of him day in and day out walking with the Lord. And 2 Kings 18 <clears throat> verse 4 says, speaking of Hezekiah, he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses has made, for until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it, and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, so that after him, none like him among the kings, so that after him there was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. He had a testimony that was far different than those who came before him or followed after him. He was a godly man. A goodly testimony, but not perfect. But day by day, he lived by faith. We can, we can see a, a, an example of this in Psalms 27, if you want to be turning over there. And again, this psalm isn't speaking of Hezekiah per se, but we see the life that he lived, the example that he lived, and the peace that can be ours in our life. In Psalms 27, 11 through 14, we read, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me as such as breathe out violence i would have lost heart unless i had believed that i would see the goodness of the lord in the land of the living wait on the lord be of good courage be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart wait i say on the lord again we talked about anxiety just a moment ago now another question has anybody had trouble waiting for something has anybody ever been impatient Um, Waiting is hard, whether it's something that's exciting in our lives, a milestone turning 16, for example, or or waiting for something maybe that's not as exciting like test results from the doctor or whatever it may be. There's just times we have trouble waiting for things. Patience is just not something that's a part of really human nature uh, as a whole. It's not something we're built to do, and I think it's only getting worse as we live today with technology that makes everything literally uh, instantaneous for us. It can be easy to lose heart while we're waiting. It can be easy to lose patience while we're waiting. As the psalm read, the the enemies were surrounding. As Hezekiah was living in his life, the enemy was literally at the border of his land. And again, it it may not be an army that's surrounding us, but it can be the cares of life or an unknown, unknown future that's awaiting us. We can have these anxieties, these weights. We can have this fear of the unknown and just lose peace at times in our lives. I don't know if many of you know Corey Ten Boom. She's got a remarkable testimony. But one thing that she said um, that I've come back to over and over again, is, she said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. How sweet those words are. I'll read it again. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Again, we can wait on the Lord because he's a known entity. We know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We know that he will never fail us. We know that he will never turn away from us. So despite not knowing what tomorrow holds, we know him who holds tomorrow. We can have a calm resolve to wait upon the Lord as David did. David oftentimes would talk about how his soul waits silently as he comes before the Lord. He would talk about the Lord as a rock, as an anchor, as a firm foundation. Again, that's something that we can be anchored upon. Hezekiah had many battles to fight, many enemies to deal with. Our lives can be full of challenges and struggle, but the Lord helps us to bear them up. Jesus himself was that perfect example of how he bore our sin on the cross. Christ frees us from sin, but not necessarily from sorrow. There are struggles in this life. There are realities in this life that we have to live through. Hard things, hard times, unpleasant things, unwanted things. But we can know that he comes alongside us. We can know that as we're bearing the cross that he puts upon us to bear, that we're following in his footsteps. That he's beside us, that he comes alongside us and takes us up. He helps us to bear that burden, for his burden is easy, his weight is light, the yoke is easy as we come before him, and this cross that we carry is only for a little while, as Simon the Cyrenian did, just for a moment, but in it, it helps us to receive that crown of glory. It works for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. In these lives, we have only a brief time to walk before the Lord. Again, we need to take advantage of it. We need to put the difficult things in our lives, the things in our lives that may be hindering us or keeping us back from fully giving ourselves over to the Lord. We need to lay it before the Lord as Hezekiah did with that letter. Lord, I don't know what to do with this. It seems impossible. It seems contrary to what is is normal in my mind. Help me, hear me, guide me. And again, we understand that Hezekiah, and I'm going to skip through a couple of these passages here and just read them to you. But Hezekiah was a godly man, but we understand that there was a time after he was healed that he failed. He, he found himself momentarily looking to himself, his own wealth, his own riches, as his source of strength, and he temporarily forgot that it was God who healed him, that it was God that gave him the strength that he needed. Hezekiah was healed by the Lord miraculously, but just for a moment lost sight. That instruction that the Lord gave him back in our opening text never disappeared. There was no expiration date on, hey, get your life in order. It wasn't get your life in order for the next few weeks. It was get your life in order. Set these things, set these things before you so that you're ready. And we see it in Second Kings 20, back the other way a couple of chapters now, where Hezekiah had some visitors from Babylon. The king of Babylon sent messengers with letters and a present for Hezekiah because he had heard he was sick, and Hezekiah received these Into his house and showed him everything that he had and pointed to all the wealth and abundance that he had, and that's where we pick up here in Second Kings twenty fifteen. And he said to him, "What have they seen in your house?" So Hezekiah answered, "They've seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them." Again, I'm not a smart guy, but that just doesn't sound like a great idea to invite people into your house and show them where all your treasures are. Again, for me that would be about eight dollars in loose change, so they might not be too interested in coming back to rob me, but. Hezekiah goes on in verse 16. It says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. And nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons, whom will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, Will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? Again, Hezekiah had been healed. He was well. He had strength and vigor back in his body. And momentarily, he looked to all the wealth that he had, this beautiful house and palace and whatever it might have been, and showed it off, saying, look, look at this. And again, that pride that he didn't point towards the Lord but pointed to himself caused him to stumble. And we understand that pride causes us to stumble. We read about that, yet we still continue to stumble at times. None of us are exempt from, from that. It led Hezekiah from a a departing from a simple reliance on God to looking for himself in that moment of, hey, look what I've got. Look what I can do. Again, instead Hezekiah could have, when they came with these gifts and these presents, could have pointed all the glory to God. Yes, I was ill, but now I am well. The Lord has strengthened me. The Lord has done a work in me to lead and direct my people. Again, we can cue the eye roll. Yeah, that's the great, pious, perfect religious answer. But that's the reality of it, is that we can point everything in our lives to the Lord. Whether we have a good education, a good job, a wonderful family, fill in the blank of whatever it is, it's all from the Lord. I I don't do any of the things that I have are, are not of me, they're of the Lord. But at times, we can be prideful. We can look at ourselves and like, wow, look at what I've done. Look at this title that I have after my name. Look at blah, blah, blah. We have to take that attention off of me, 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 and I, 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 and point it to God. And again, I'm susceptible of that. I know I have done it. I, have, I've, I try to catch myself when I use the word I in anything I do at work. I have to prepare these reports for our county manager showing all the things that we do to justify our existence and our budget dollars. And it's easy to go, well, I did this and I did this and I did this. Wow, I really am something special. But reality is, even in my work, it's not me. It's the team that I work with, and, and that's what I have to point to in our lives, and our walk with the Lord. It's the Lord. It does everything in me. It's the Lord that can work through me. It's the Lord that can transform me to move beyond these failures that I have in my life, these shortcomings that I have in my life, to throw them off and to go on with him. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in their ways. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Again, we see and re-read: Hezekiah was a good man, a godly man, had a wonderful testimony, he fell short in this moment in his life, but he cried out to the Lord and he accepted the punishment. He said, Lord, it's it's well. When Isaiah came to him with that sentence of Babylon is taking your wealth, your treasures, your family, Hezekiah humbly accepted it was what it was. But he was able to finish his life with peace and victory. He was able to finish his life looking to the Lord. Again, when we fall down and we need help up, all we have to do is ask God, for help. Hezekiah turned to the Lord. That psalm we just read that David said, when I I call out to the Lord, again, when we need help, when we stumble and fall, the Lord is there to uphold us with his right hand. Again, it's okay to call out and ask for help. This is something I struggle with. On a very natural level, I struggle asking for help. I'd rather just bear down, suffer, do it myself, than ask for help. That's just something wrong with me. I, I understand that. But spiritually speaking, we can't just bear it down. We can't just grit our teeth and think, I'm going to find a way out of this. I'm going to muscle myself through this. We have to cry out. We have to call out, Lord, help me. My dependence, my need is on you. And again, for some, that would sound very weak. It would sound very unbecoming to say, I am weak. But the Lord tells me I'm weak. But he tells me when I'm weak, I'm strong because I trust in him. Again, that's where Hezekiah came to in his life. Our calling is to be victorious Christians. And again, it's so easy to get caught up in the outcome. What is it going to end up like? Instead, we need to surrender to the process. It's easy to focus on the end. Am I going to be this or that? Am I going to do this or that? Am I going to have this or that? Leave all that in the Lord's hand and allow him to do a work in the process, in the process of living, of trusting, of walking with him, a surrendered life to whatever he calls us to do, wherever he calls us to go, let him take care of the outcomes. He'll, he'll, he'll do it. He's promised that he's done. Don't lose heart when things get out of whack. Don't lose heart when doubts and fears come in. Instead, simply lay them before the Lord. And we'll turn to Isaiah 40 and close with this this morning. Isaiah records many of the accounts that we've just read of Hezekiah and his life. And he follows up a passage of Hezekiah's failure of pride with a tremendously encouraging proclamation here in Isaiah 40. We'll read it in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We are blessed to call the Almighty God our Father. Let us take this exhortation that Hezekiah received and make it real in our lives by the power of the Spirit to understand we have a daily dependence upon the Lord. And through our dependence upon Him, through a prayer life that is devoted and focused and earnest and diligent, we can have stability and strength and find peace. We can press onward, press forward, and continue on with Him and receive that strength that He gives to us, and these weak bodies, and this frail life that we live, we can be strong, we can be victorious. Lord bless you.